is our line quick look. Let's get started. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're at in the world. It is Sunday, July 3rd, 2022. It is Independence Day weekend. I hope you are all having a safe weekend and that you are enjoying, well, grilling and being poolside or golfing or whatever it is you're doing, boating, jet skiing, whatever it is you're doing, just remember, take some time to set and really reflect and remember exactly why we are celebrating the independence, the Declaration of Independence. Remember what we broke away from. Remember the tyrants and the impression that our forefathers before us, what they were escaping. Because it's very relevant today with what we're dealing with today. What we're dealing with today is what they dealt with then, and they knew it would happen again, which is why they drafted the documents and worded them in such a fashion like they did. They were very crafty. They knew exactly what they were doing because they knew what was, what would happen, that this would happen again, except this time it would be on land that cannot be escaped because America was pretty much the last place on earth to start fresh. Well, we've reached a point now where we have our own unique 1776 moment, which is why we have the assemblies. So what we're going to talk about here in his hardline quick look today, again, we're going to continue on with field training manual 2000-25, which was issued back in 1928. By the War Department, it was meant for the Army, but it's very relevant information. So we know where we were, where we're at currently, and where we are going in the future. Very important information. Somebody asked if this was available in a in an audiobook. Um, somebody who just recently started following the, the podcast. Thank you, by the way, Dennis. Um, I don't, to my knowledge, I don't think there's an audiobook for it. I could be wrong. Maybe there is. I'm not sure. But um, I'm betting there isn't, which is one of the reasons why I've decided to take it upon myself to read it here. So what we're going to be discussing here is the American citizen. And we're going to be figuring, you know, we're going to be reading into what the definition of a citizen is, the origin of citizenship, the source of American citizenship, acquisition of American citizenship, birth, immigration, naturalization, no dual allegiance, so on and so forth. So we're going to get right into it. So the definition of a citizenship. Citizenship is that membership in a nation which includes full civil and political rights subject to such limitations as may be imposed by the government thereof. The origin of citizenship. Citizenship, as we understand it today, is the result of centuries of social, economic, and political experiments in which improvement in human relations has slowly developed the idea of the benefits of government rules, governmental rules, and restrictions for the protection of the rights of persons and property. Now, when ancient Greece was composed of a number of city-states, each one independent of the other, and conferring certain privileges upon its subjects, the greatest advantages of citizenship among these city-states was conferred by the Athen Athenians, 
limited, however, to native sons of native fathers and mothers, excluding from such privileges foreigners and slaves. The Athenian idea of citizenship was philosophical rather than practical. It was left to the Romans in succeeding, in succeeding centuries to develop the more practical free, uh, phases of citizenship, i.e. safety of the republic, public service, stern simplicity, devotion to duty. Above all other duties and obligations was placed that of unselfish duty to the state. It was this Roman virtue of loyalty to public duty, this devotion on the part of the citizenship to the interest of the state that more than any other quality of the Roman character helped to make Rome great. Now, Roman citizenship was confined to a privileged class native or adopted, in the Anglo-Saxon races there was slowly developed the idea and ideals of self-government and of individual worth. In contrast with the earlier Greek and Roman denomination, dom, den, excuse me, domination of the state over the individual. Now, out of these experiments in the government, in human relations, there has been evolved the ideals and principles of American citizenship. Now, the source of American citizenship is found in the Constitution and subsequent federal enactments. And the acquisition of American citizenship is acquired in two ways, by birth and by naturalization. Now, birth for 150 years following the first settlement of American colonies, their inhabitants were citizens and subjects of a foreign power. With the successful conclusion of the Revolutionary War, terminating with the Treaty of Peace, 1783, all persons born in the United States before the Declaration of Independence could be regarded as American citizens. Let me read that again. With the successful conclusion of the Revolutionary War, terminating with the Treaty of Peace, 1783, all persons born in the United States before the Declaration of Independence could be regarded as American citizens. By the Civil Rights Act of 1866, it was provided that all persons born in the United States and not subject to any foreign power, excluding Indians not taxed, are declared to be citizens of the United States. By the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. It has been decided by the Supreme Court of the United States that the children of domiciled aliens born in the United States are citizens under the 14th Amendment. And this is also true of the children of alien parents ineligible to citizenship through naturalization. Now, with regards to immigration and naturalization, under the Constitution, Congress is given the power over both immigration and naturalization. And so in order to determine their fitness to enter the U.S., each immigrant on his arrival is subjected to the physical and mental examination of, by officers of the Public Health Service. So under immigration, under the Immigration Act, the following classes of persons are excluded from entering the United States. So if you were considered, and this is the words I'm reading, this is not my, these are not my words. So if you were an idiot, you were classified as insane. If you were an epileptic, uh, paupers or persons likely to become a public charge. 
If you are a professional beggar, person suffering from tuberculosis or other dangerous and loathsome contagious diseases, persons that were physically or mentally so defective as to be unable to make a living. Persons convicted of a crime or misdemeanor involving moral uh, turpitude, polygamist, anarchist, women or girls imported for immoral purposes and persons aiding in their importation, contract laborers, that is those induced to migrate by offers or promise of employment or by agreement except artists and professional men, and children under 16 years of age unaccompanied by their parents. And so with certain exceptions, no alien ineligible to citizenship is admissible to the United States. So all aliens brought into the country in violation of the law are, if possible, immediately sent back to the country whence they came on the vessel, bringing them at the expense of the vessel owners. Hmm. Interesting. Now, there is also a heavy fine upon the transportation company or vessel owner for unlawfully introducing immigrants into the United States. And so because there was a great influx of non-assimilable people, which tend which tended to lower American standards of living and to better develop a homogenous body politic, Congress in 1923 passed the Immigration Restriction Act. And so the abnormal immigration to America is shown in the census return of the 1900, 1910, and 1920 as follows. So in 1900, there was about 3,687,564. 1910, it jumped up to 8. 8- million seven hundred ninety five thousand three hundred and eighty six and then nineteen twenty five thousand or excuse me five million seven hundred thirty five thousand eight hundred and eleven and so the law governing immigration provides that the annual quota from each country until july one of nineteen twenty seven is two percent of the number of foreign born persons of such nationality resident in the continental United States is shown by the 1890 census. But the minimum quota of any nationality shall be 100. And so the quota of each fiscal year thereafter will be based on a total immigration of 150,000. Now, the annual quota of any nationality for the fiscal year beginning July 1st, 1927, and for each fiscal year thereafter shall be a number which bears the same ratio of 150,000 as the number of inhabitants in continental United States in 1920, having that national origin ascertained as hereafter provided in the section. And it bears to the number of inhabitants in continental United States in 1920, but the minimum quota of any nationality shall be 100. Now, under the Articles of Confederation, the power of naturalization was in the states. I'm going to pause there for a second. This is why, again, with the Supreme Court rulings that we just saw last week, if you didn't notice, they are placing the power back to the states. The federal government does not have the power to make laws. Only Congress, okay, first off. But the federal government, the judicial system, does not have the power to make laws. They just their their job is to uphold the constitution. Okay? So under the Articles of Confederation, the power of naturalization was in the states, thereby creating confusion through the lack of uniformity in conferring 
citizenship. And so the authority for naturalization is to be found in the Constitution and federal laws. But the Constitution has accordingly, with great propriety, authorized the general government to establish a uniform rule of naturalization throughout the United States via Madison. And so in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Paragraph 4, the 14th Amendment, naturalization laws, under the Constitution, two methods of naturalization have grown up. So the first is by the General Act of Congress conferring citizenship upon a whole class of persons, such as tribes of Indians, and the inhibit <clears throat> excuse me, and the inhabitants of the new territory, like Hawaii, acquired by the United States. And the general and more and the number two, the general and more usual method is prescribed by the revised statutes, which requires the fulfillment of certain conditions before final admission into citizenship. Now just reading something here. Forgive me. I'm just kind of looking past here or something. I'm reading a few things here. Now, as far as having a dual allegiance, now every alien should become a citizen in order that he may vote and hold office and in all ways take an active part in developing, building, and maintaining the government, national and local, that protects him. Kind of... Sounds familiar from General Michael Flynn, where he says local action equals national impact. You got to play an active part in developing, building, and maintaining the government, national and local. Now, there can be no divided allegiances here. So any man who says he is an American, but something else also isn't an American at all. We have room for but one flag the American flag, and this excludes the red flag, which symbolizes all wars against liberty and civilization, just as much as it excludes any foreign flag of a nation to which we are hostile. We have room for one sole loyalty, and that is loyalty to the American people, per Roosevelt. And it just cracks me up because you see all these people out there with their American, which, by the way, the old glory flag, I hate the burst people's bubble, is actually a, it, it is an American flag, but it is a battle flag for the military. It is not the actual true American flag. And if you want to know more about that, you can go back and the, there's a podcast. I think it's, uh, you can go to hishardline.com and you can, um, uh, trying to think of where it's at if you click the assembly link in the website you can scroll down to one of the media players it's the only one that has the uh, civil peace flag as the little icon click on that and that gives you the full history there of the civil peace flag and um what the u.s american battle flag the one that you see everywhere at schools and in front of people's houses go listen to that very very interesting history that no one is ever taught in school but it cracks me up that you see all these people out here with the Ukrainian flag outside flying with the U.S. flag. It's like, well, that that's you're not supposed to do that. Now, as far as dual citizenship, the Supreme Court declares that there are two kinds of citizenships, state and national. And so the citizens of the United States residing in any state enjoy the rights of both state and United States citizenship. So in the protection thereof, 
We look to the national government if the source of such rights lies in the Constitution and laws of the United States, and to the state government if such rights are based upon the Constitution and laws of the state. And so dual citizenship does not imply a divided allegiance. While a state commands allegiance of its citizens, the paramount allegiance is to the union. And liberally in union, now and forever, one and inseparable. And Webster said that. Now the right of suffrage. So under the Constitution, the national government confers American citizenship, but it is left to the states. Again, there is that whole, you know, nasty 10th Amendment again that they, you know, that they, they absolutely hate. It is left to the states to determine who may vote at both its own and national elections. Huh. And the Constitution, you can see that reference in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Paragraph 4, as well as the 14th and 15th Amendments. Now, in America... Public opinion is the ultimate force of government. It is the expression of the mind and the conscience of the whole nation without respect to sectional or partisan alliances. Kind of sound familiar? And so under the Constitution, voting is the only means provided for the expression of public opinion. It is the exercise of the will of the citizen in the protection of his rights. Now, as far as guarantees as the person and property, the United States is composed of 48 sovereign states, which now you got to remember as I'm reading this, this was made up back in 1928 when this was printed off. This was before Alaska became a state. And I believe before, um, I want to say Hawaii, I can't remember. So the United States is composed of 48 sovereign states, each state having its individual constitution and laws. Yet no state may discriminate against the rights and privileges of the citizen of any other state as to person or property. And so among these guarantees are the following opportunity for education and individual improvement, unrestricted possession of property. Mm hmm. Joint rights to interstate commerce, communication, and transportation, yum, and public utilities, yum. The freedom of residence and choice of occupation, mm -hmm. and then the care or protection on the high seas or abroad through passport privileges and international law. And so with the obligations of citizenship, active citizenship, is gained only by becoming an enfranchised citizen of the state. And this carries with it the obligation of a clear understanding of the principles of government and the courage to demand that these principles be not abridged. And Andrew Jackson once said that every good citizen makes his country's honor his own and not only cherishes it as precious but sacred. And Lincoln declared, I must stand, and I quote, I must stand by anybody that stands right. Stand with him while he is right and part with him when he is wrong, end quote. And so it's essential that the individual citizen exercise his right of franchise by voting as his paramount duty at all elections, uphold the Constitution 
as the one assurance of the security and perpetuation of the free institutions of America, practice self-government to assure good government for all. I'm going to say that again. Practice self-government to assure good government for all. That is what the assemblies are about. All the different state assemblies that are coming together. We are returning back to self-governance because DC, well, first off has grown way too big for its britches. Number one, number two, it's de facto and fraud. It's a corporation, which is now dissolved, thankfully, because it was operating underneath the act of 1871. No more that's gone. We're getting back to self-government, which is one of the reasons why this field training manual 2000-25 came about, which is one of the biggest reasons why FDR wanted all prints to be stopped being printed and developed and have anything that was printed destroyed. Makes you wonder why. Because this promotes how to return back to a constitutional republic. Everything in this field training manual speaks negatively about democracies because democracies are mob rule. And that's not how America was supposed to be operating under. And so respect the rights of others to assure the enjoyment of his own. Yes. You got to respect the rights of others. You got to contribute to the maintenance of his government by payment of taxes. Now here again, we had the implementation of the IRS and the federal reserve in 1913. So this was 15 years later, this field training manual came about. Now, a lot of what we implement is more toward the tail end, the middle and tail end of this field training manual. But I am going to read the whole thing because it's very important. But we were able to operate as a nation and as a government, we were able to fund government just through tariffs. Post office, you know, all that stuff, military. We were able to fund everything in government through tariffs of exports. We never had a federal tax to, to pay for all this other stuff. And we don't need a huge, large, over large, engorged federal and state governments. We don't need any of that. And so you were also to obey the laws as the first essential to law enforcement and place service to country above service to self. You were to conform his conduct to the best interest of society. And the opportunities and privileges of the American citizen are limited only by his individual ability, his personal habits, and conformity to necessary legal regulations. And so it is your obligation to exercise the following care in your choice of occupation, diligence and preparation for your task, thrift to ensure advancement and prosperity, judgment and selection of companions, integrity, honor, initiative, self-reliance, self-control. Now, the whole idea of I am an American is a challenge to the highest ideals and aspirations of mankind, to self-sacrifice and devotion, to loyalty and patriotism, to joyful work and courageous achievement, to magnanimity and charity to all and malice to none, as we seek to uphold and perpetuate the principles of our great republic. 
I live an American. I shall die an American, and I intend to perform the duties incumbent upon me in that character to the end of my career. I mean to do this with absolute disregard of personal consequences. And what are the personal consequences? What is the individual man with all the good or evil which may beside him, excuse me, betide him? In comparison with the good or evil which may befall a great country, and in the midst of great transactions which concern that country's fate. Let the consequences be what they will. I am careless. No man can suffer too much. No man fall too soon. If he suffer or if he fall in the defense of the liberties and constitution of his country. And that was all spoken by Daniel Webster. And so in the days of Caesar's, in the I am a Roman citizen was a proud exultant declaration. It was a it was a protection. And it was more um, it was more about honor and glory. And then 20 centuries of advanced advancing civilization have given to the declaration, I am an American, a higher and noble, nobler place. And it stands today in the forefront of earthly titles. It proclaims a sharing in the greatest of opportunities, and it is a trumpet call to the highest fidelity. It is the diploma of the world, the highest which humanity has to bestow. So, that is the section, that's the third, that's the third part of this, about what is a citizen, Okay. And as we continue to go through this field training manual, like I said, I'm, I'm going to be very blunt about this. As we start, as we started reading this, it's more geared towards, like I said, when, 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 um, it, like I said, it was geared toward the army. The, when we get to the middle of this, or I would say past one third of this, getting closer to the middle, going to the end is where it'll start coming together of how we utilize this information to proceed forward. Because again, General Douglas MacArthur, back in the 50s, he studied under this field training manual and handpicked some of the brightest special forces operators in the military and trained them on this field training manual as well as the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and they initiated the Restore America Act, the the Operation Restore America, also known as Project Blue Book, how to return this nation back to a constitutional republic. And so sometimes the information here might sound a little, you know, it's like, man, what am I listening to? But bear with it. It's these things are going to start making more sense as we proceed forward in these readings and how it's going to be applied into present day into not only returning back to self-governance, but returning back to a constitutional republic and how we're going to forge forward as this de facto fraudulent corporate government that we've had for the last 150 years, it is already dissolved. If you go to DC, you'll see that it is empty. If you go to the visitor center, you'll still see a picture of President Donald Trump. 
you won't see a picture of Biden there. People don't realize this, but Trump will be the last president of the corporate United States of America. Now, he's still commander-in-chief. He's actually still technically a military asset, which is why he still has the nuclear football. And as part of the military, they are carrying out requisitions that were drafted by we the people in assembly. Fourteen of them have been carried out. Seven are actively being carried out as we speak. We are going to be in for a very crazy, bumpy ride yet from this point forward going to November to the end of the year. We're going to see a lot of turbulence. And it's because we're seeing a systematic, orchestrated destruction of an old system. In order to move forward into the actual self-governance system that we actually need to have in place and return back to a constitutional republic, republican form of government, the old system has to completely fall and burn up. It has to. Because there's so much, there was so much evil intertwined in it and so many mechanisms that kept us enslaved there was so much Satanism involved in a lot of it. it. It just, it has to burn. There's no other way around it. And therefore, listen, it's like living through a, a renovation in your own home. It's not fun. It's dusty. You're living in disarray. You can't even use your kitchen or cook food. So you're always eating out. I mean, it's, it's that, that's kind of the hell we're kind of going to be experiencing as we transition and we go through this period of interregnum, which is basically moving from one form of government, which was the corporate de facto unlawful government, to a lawful de jure government operated by we the people being in self-governance. So there's a lot of stuff that's going to be coming here in the coming weeks and months leading up to the election. In the election, it cracks me up. So many people get caught up in the election. Oh, there's going to be a red wave. There's going to be a red wave. Oh, they, you know, they, this is going to happen. And, and, and man, they're, they're really awakening people. It, yet people still keep talking about this 2,000 mules. People keep talking about Mike Lindell and this whole symposium thing and what he found. Like, they're still talking about this. But here's the thing. I hate to break it to you, people. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to squash the party, if you will. People who know, know that the elections coming up don't mean much. Now, I'm not saying don't go out and vote, okay? But here's what I'm saying. With what's coming ahead of us is going to be something that has never been seen by the people in this country in, well, quite some time, probably ever. Okay, this is we we are approaching our 1776 moment on steroids. See, back in those days, they were able to flee their tyrannical overlords from Great Britain to a different landmass. We have a different unique fight here. We're dealing with the same overlords and the same cabal but they're embedded in this nation like fleas on a dog. Ever so small, hard to find, but boy, when they bite, they bite. You feel it. And so what's happening 
within the National Assembly and the, uh, you know, and all the individual states and county assemblies is it's a return to original jurisdiction. We're returning back to God because we had left God a long time ago. Only because we allowed ourselves to leave God because of Hollywood, the music industry, and all the other government programs that, you know, led up to all that. It's, we allowed ourselves to walk away from God. And now we see that, you know, praying in public, at least for the longest time in the Bible, was not allowed in the public square. But that's all about the change. We're returning back to God and Jesus Christ. And man, what a six, what a beautiful win that was when Roe v. Wade got overturned. But see, a lot of people got all huffy puffy about that too, and they were like, "Well, my right to have an abortion has been taken away." No, it hasn't. It just again, like we were just reading, it goes back to the decision of the states. The federal government has very little limited powers. The states hold the power of those types of decisions, not the federal government. People really need to learn, read and research and learn their constitution and read their constitution. But nobody will. There's foreigners that know more about our founding documents than people that have been born in this nation and that are in their 40s or 50s and probably people that have master's degrees. There's people that are probably 18 years old from foreign nations. They know our history, true history, more than that of a man or woman who has a master's degree in their 50s. Guaranteed. It's pretty sad when someone from other nations knows our history and our founding documents better than we do ourselves. That has to change, which is why I'm doing these readings of the War Department manual here. And I'm going to be doing a reading out of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. We need to understand this. So... I've jabbered on, you know, jabbered on enough about this. So what we're going to be talking about next time on our return for the His Hardline Quick Look is we're going to be talking about interdependent relationships and uh, dealing, you know, uh, discussing mutual relationships and community relationships as well as national, international relationships and how beneficial to person and property, so on and so forth. So we're going to be going over a lot of that. Um. Just there's a lot to cover here, but at the end of the day, it's very important because it's going to shape where we're going forward. So with that, I hope you all have a great day and a great Independence Day weekend. Please be safe and don't drink too much. Hangovers are not fun. So we'll see you until then or the next time. We'll see you later.